Are nanobubbles the secret to optimal health, wellness, and mental performance? Over a thousand scientific studies say yes. Molecular hydrogen, or nanobubbles, reduce the number one cause of cognitive decline, premature aging, and tired-looking skin by destroying the most damaging free radicals. Vital reaction hydrogen tablets transform ordinary water, or any non-carbonated drink, into cell-optimizing hydrogen water. If you'd like to try hydrogen for the next 30 days risk-free, go to tryvitalreaction.com. Use the discount code GENIUS to save 20% on your first order. Note, all orders are protected with a one-year money-back guarantee and include free shipping. So use the code GENIUS to save 20% on your first purchase at tryvitalreaction.com. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Dr. John Kutali. Uh, he's an author of Your Health is at Risk, How to Navigate Information Chaos to Prevent Lifestyle Diseases. Uh, so we're going to get into his bio and his book. And uh, Dr. John, thank you for coming. Mr. Richard, I thank you for having me, and I thank our audience. Very good. Uh, one quick note. Uh, his website is drjohnonhealth.com, D-R-J-O-H-N-O-N-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. All right, so Dr. John, tell me a bit about your, your background. How did you get interested in health? Well, I grew up in India. I did went to medical school in India. I went to Scotland for internship. I came to this country in the 19, in 1970, did two years of residency, then two years of fellowship. I practiced in the state of Texas for over 30 years. And when I was in my mid-40s, I started noticing that I gained weight in the winter months, but I lost it in spring. After I reached okay. mid-50s, the weight I gained stayed on. So that is when that made me curious as to what is going on. How much weight would you gain in the winter versus the uh, the summer? Was it dramatically noticeable or was it just a little? In, initially, one or two pounds uh, during the winter. But in the 50s, what, what I gained did not go away. So it added on. So one pound, two pounds here, one pound there. Over the years, that began increasing. Okay, so it was a slow creep. Gotcha. Exactly. Okay, then, and then where did this lead from there? What was the next thing that happened to you? So I went to my medical textbooks. I went, I find out why am I gaining weight? There, there I went to the website, uh, CDC, NIH, and all those. They say improper diet, lack of exercise. So I went back and looked at it. The way I looked at it, I was eating the same thing. I was exercising the same amount of time but the weight is not going away. So I thought there is something that does not make sense to me. So I went back and said, let me start from the beginning. I had three questions in my mind. One is, what is the reason 
that we feel hungry. We cannot predict when we are going to be hungry. So how does the brain know? And we, it is not consistent. Sometimes you're hungry, sometimes at the same time you are not. And when I went back and looked at the physiology textbooks, there is no answer as to how the brain decides when to create the sensation of hunger. The second question was, we don't always eat the same volume of food to feel satisfied. So how can the brain know you had enough at that time? The third question was, what happens to the nutrients immediately after supper, for example, your blood glucose level, triglyceride level, cholesterol are all higher. But next morning, fasting, they're all back to normal. So where did they go? These are the three questions. I could not find satisfactory answers in physiology textbooks. So I came up with my own. By the way, the Information Chaos is my fifth book. So my first book was The Physiology of Hunger, Satiation, and intake, nutrient intake control, and it is published as Eat, Chew, Live. Okay. So your, your question is what? How does the body know when we should be hungry? I, I would think that it's a, I don't know, the body would monitor the condition of the stomach and the intestines and have several monitoring points along the digestive path and also look at nutrient levels and then, I guess, stimulate the body with the, you know, that composite signal and say, hey, I'm hungry. I'm craving this. What are your thoughts? Well, as far as the first part is concerned, your stomach is the empty, most empty early in the morning when you wake up. Are you most hungry when you wake up? Me, no, personally, but some no. people are starving and they have to eat. I can go for a long time in the morning, right. but at night I get hungry. It just depends. Correct. That is the usual pattern. Usually when you wake up in the morning, you are not famished. You're not very hungry. By evening, you are. So that means the emptiness of the stomach is not the reason that you feel the sensation of hunger. Now, the second part you said the nutrient. Yes, that's absolutely correct. So the question is, what is the mix of nutrients that the brain is monitoring nutrient levels because it gets signals from, as you said, from different parts of the body. So it's calculating, it is tallying them up. And when it reach a threshold level, the combined deficiency reach a threshold level, the brain says it is time to eat and you eat. And depending on the need, sometimes you need very little and you feel satisfied. Sometimes you need more depending on the degree of nutrient need. Sometimes after, even after you eat, you feel hungry because that food may not contain the exact nutrient your body needs at that time. Okay. So what, what other nuance to this have you discovered that's important? First thing is, let me give you another example. When you are thirsty, you cannot predict how much water will it take to quench your thirst. Can you? I don't know. Sometimes I feel very thirsty, sometimes not. Right. So... And you, how long will it take? Suppose you are thirsty right now. How long will it take to quench your thirst? I don't know. Usually right after you drink something, right? Or do Correct. you take a Correct. few minutes afterwards? Right. It, it takes just a few minutes of drinking. By the time you're satisfied, when you stop drinking, your water is still in the stomach. It has not been absorbed yet. So how did the brain know you had enough water? 
If you had a workout outside, if it's a hot day, you drink more. Otherwise, you drink less. So the brain is monitoring the quantity of water that is going down the throat as you are drinking. When the intake matches the deficit, which your brain already knows, the brain creates a sensation of satisfaction. So what I thought was there has to be a similar mechanism for eating nutrients also. Each nutrient can be detected by your taste buds and smell receptors. Now, let me ask you a question. Is there in nature any food that nature provides for an adult human being to get nutrients from without chewing? Say that again. Without chewing, is there any food from nature that adults, human adults can get nutrients from without chewing? Well, drinking, or if it's... What nutrient can you get drinking? What does uh, nature produce as liquid? Yeah, nature, I mean, it's going to be mostly water, maybe honey, maybe, uh, you know, drippings of blood, things like that, but... Uh, exactly. So most water. of the nutrients... The, the nature packaged it in such a way, different color, different shape, different taste, different texture, but all of them require chewing. Why? Because as you chew, the nutrients are released in a, at a rate where the taste receptors and smell receptors can detect them, report to the brain how much is going down. That first bite of food when you're hungry tastes so good but after a few minutes, the intensity of enjoyment goes down. That is the time to stop eating, not when the plate is empty. Well, I know anything, yeah, right? When you first eat something, it's delicious, it's amazing. And after a while, it's like, it's just bulk. It's not right. that exciting anymore. Yeah. Actually, I, I interviewed, uh, you know, this paleo guy, Rob Wolf. He's pretty famous. He said there's a, um, there's a snack chip. Uh, I don't know who makes it, Nabisco, whoever, but... They have like three or four different kinds of flavors in the bag. One's very spicy, one's very sweet, one's very crunchy, and they deliberately vary the food in the bag that you eat so it keeps your brain changing and your taste buds changing so it makes you eat more of it. And he called the company and he found out that they deliberately designed it this way. So that may be something interesting to you that fits with your observations. Yes, the marketing companies have come different gimmicks. They, they, they raise, you know, most things, in the amount of sugar and salt, they manipulate it in such a way and the type of salt they add, they change it to increase the palatability of the food. And what you're talking about is the texture and the feel. They're, this is all marketing gimmicks that they use and every company tries to do that, tries to do that. Yeah, it is weird to me. Like if I'm, um, if I feel tired and I'm super hungry, Maybe my sugar is low. As soon as I start eating, I feel better. It's not, it doesn't seem like the material I'm eating has had any time to really be digested and used, yet I start to feel a lot better. So that's, that's also an unusual phenomenon that I'm sure you thought about too. Yeah, that is an excellent observation. Let me clarify that in this way. Diabetic people who are having type 2 diabetes, they are asked to carry glucose tablets. And if they feel that they're having a low sugar, put the glucose tablet in their mouth. And you know, within a couple of minutes, they start feeling better. The quantity of sugar in the sugar tablet is so low, it cannot 
increase your blood sugar in a significant way and it will take time to be absorbed. So how does the brain reduce the intensity of symptoms just from the sugar tablets being on the tongue? Because the taste buds detect that sugar is coming down, it sends a message to the brain, the brain stops releasing stress hormones and adrenaline, that the hormones and the adrenaline are the ones that cause the symptoms. Now the brain is saying, okay, calm down, food is coming, and the diabetics feel better almost immediately. So that mm. is the phenomenon that you just observed. The idea is to tell the body that, but sugar is coming, and then the body still has enough reserves to fix itself? Yes. Is that the, the, liver the regime has most some, people are in? Yeah, the liver has... 120 grams of sugar stored for just for that purpose, but it does not want to wait until it is empty. So it will create this sensation. Once it is assured that the sugar is coming, it will release some glucose from the liver to keep up the blood sugar level because the control centers in the brain, they need glucose to keep monitoring the system. Okay. So what are the implications of these thoughts you have? They seem to be all mysterious and interesting, but what, what does this lead you to thinking? The thing is, when you, are, when, you want to, when you notice yourself gaining weight, you go to somebody, a dietitian or a nutritionist, and they give you a prescribed diet based on the caloric intake. And you follow that, you lose your weight, and then what happens? How do you maintain it? If you want to maintain it, there is the same formula that you use to lose weight will not apply to maintain it. In order to maintain it, you need to know the basic physiology just we are talking about. And then mm -hmm. you can pay attention while you are eating the sensation of enjoyment and use that sensation to control your intake and you will be fine. Now, the third part of my question was, what happens to the nutrients? May I expand on that one now? Yeah, go ahead, yes. So if you eat supper within four, what time do you normally eat supper, Mr. Jacobs? Well, I'm probably not a very good example because I run so late, but we, we eat at uh, usually 8.39. Okay. Night. If you eat at 8.30, in about four hours, by 12.30, all the nutrients the, the food has been digested. All the nutrients have been absorbed. And if you look at your blood, you'll have higher blood glucose level, triglyceride level, cholesterol level, and amino acid level, because those mm. are components, usual components of your food, if you have a mixed uh, variety of dishes. And okay. then elevation of glucose will stimulate your pancreas to release insulin. So insulin takes the, these nutrients, accompanies them to every cell in the body. Do you know when glucose is outside, the cell has no way of knowing it is outside. For example, if somebody rings the doorbell in your apartment or house, you know there is somebody outside. Right. There is no cell receptor for glucose to identify itself. That is the job of insulin. Insulin is the one that rings the doorbell for the cell, and then the cell know glucose is outside, the cell sends a wagon to load up glucose to bring them in. Now you can understand in type 1 diabetes, 
the children don't produce, their pancreas does not produce insulin. So there is, they have plenty of glucose, but the cells are starving because they don't know. That is how, when, when insulin was discovered, the administration of glucose made these children live just like normal life. So now comes the second part of your uh, my thing, that what happens in adults? Why, why do they get high blood sugar, right? Okay. So when Dr. Elliot Jocelyn in Boston in early 1940s, he's the one who treated the maximum number of 1920s, I should say, maximum number of children with type 1 diabetes, and they all amazingly got better. He was so thrilled. When adults, his own relatives came with high blood sugar, he thought it is the same disease happening at later life. So he called it adult onset diabetes and injected them with insulin and sure sure enough, their blood glucose level went down. So he thought this is what you need. He preached that. He sent nurses out to give everybody insulin. What he did not know that was that adults at the time of diagnosis as normal levels of insulin, sometimes even higher than normal. Only when a test became available to measure the insulin level in adults, they found out insulin is normal. So the question was, why is the blood sugar also high? Are nanobubbles the secret to optimal health, wellness, and mental performance? Over a thousand scientific studies say yes. Molecular hydrogen, or nanobubbles, produce the number one cause of cognitive decline, premature aging, and tired-looking skin by destroying the most damaging free radicals. Vital Reaction Hydrogen Tablets transform ordinary water, or any non-carbonated drink, into cell-optimizing hydrogen water. If you'd like to try hydrogen for the next 30 days risk-free, go to tryvitalreaction.com. Use the discount code GENIUS to save 20% on your first order. Note, all orders are protected with a one-year money-back guarantee and include free shipping. So use the code GENIUS to save 20% on your first purchase at TryVitalReaction.com. Yeah, it's a similar phenomenon as to what you said is as soon as you start eating, or what I said, you start feeling better. So why does this happen in people? Why, why do some people have such an exaggerated glucose response and others don't when the food really hasn't hit their system? I think that's what you're saying. Well, what I'm saying is in a little bit different in the sense that the type 2 diabetes, endocrinologists claim that they have insulin, but their body is resisting the signal from insulin. It is the so-called insulin resistance theory. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I've heard of, yeah, right, supposedly insulin resistance, right, the signal is not getting there. But still, at that early stage, there is some signal that's signaling for the glucose to go up. Well, the primary thing is in any science, any branch of science, when you have a hypothesis, that hypothesis has to be validated before it is accepted as fact. And there is a defined validation process. One is logic. Second is mechanism. Third is measurement. So let us look at the logic of insulin resistance. You know, if you go to the NIH website, it will say type 2 diabetes starts when 3 out of 
200 different types of cells in the body. Muscle, liver, and fat cells become resistant to or not respond to insulin. So the question is, how do they know, what is the reason not to respond to insulin? Nobody has come up with a reason. Now, why did they pick on insulin? Particularly, the human body has 50 different hormones. Why did they pick on insulin? Nobody can explain that. And Well, people talk about ghrelin or leptin or things like that. But you're right. Why not um, talk about, you know, and people will talk about leptin resistance. They will talk, but it's very minor. 99% of it is about insulin resistance. You're right. The, there is no mechanism. Are all these cells not responding to insulin for the same mechanism? Is it because the receptor is not working or the signal is not going through or the gene is not working properly? Nobody knows at any one of these three sides. Mm. And you know what? There is no measurement. What is your degree of insulin resistance when you start the first time or you had diabetes for type 2 diabetes for 20 years? And when you inject somebody with insulin, the blood glucose level goes down. Does the glucose go into the cell that was supposedly resistant? Without a measurement, without a test, how do you know? That's true. And again, it happens too fast. Like, look, I've, I've had this happen where I've eaten a meal of, you know, I've, I've had chocolate or whatever it is. And within 20 minutes, my glucose has gone way up. Right. But is that enough time for it actually to be properly digested and everything? And to right. have an effect on the body physiologically? I don't know. And it doesn't seem like it. So how could that happen? Well, the, these are the questions that endocrinologists conveniently don't answer. The fact is, the concept of insulin resistance as a cause of type 2 diabetes has never been validated. There is no evidence of proof. It has been discussed. It has been widely accepted. And many people are making a living and a profit by selling insulin and various insulin products and monitoring devices just because what we call the glucocentric with way of treating type 2 diabetes. In other words, if your A1C is normal, the endocrinologists have done their job. Well, the question is, will that prevent the complications of type 2 diabetes? It will not, because 50% of type 2 diabetics who are on insulin, my own relative, that's how I got interested in type 2 diabetes. My own relative, she kept her blood glucose level down to A1C7 using insulin, yet she had one leg amputated. So what did the doctor do? He increased the level of insulin. Sure enough, in a couple of years, her other leg was amputated. Then we, I have friends who lost their kidneys, eyesight, heart attack, stroke, in spite of even cancer, in spite of keeping A1C below 7. Now, if you look at all the advertisements for type 2 diabetic medications, all Mm. they talk about is it will control your A1C. We can keep it down. What they don't say is, will it prevent complications of type 2 diabetes? No, I'm with you there. I'm with you there totally. But what have you discovered that's new and interesting then? So we have all these like difficult questions, which are great. 
But what have you, where have you taken this? Like what, what have you discovered? Oh, wonderful question. Let, let me go back to the answer. The third question I asked, what happens to the nutrients? After a meal, you know, four hours, they are digested. Blood glucose level is high. Insulin is released. Insulin instructs each cell or informs each cell glucose is outside. They take what they want. The leftover will come to the liver. And the insulin will say, this is excess glucose. It needs to be processed for storage. The liver can hold only 120 grams of glucose as glycogen to be released later as we discussed when the blood glucose level goes down. The rest will be converted for long-term storage. That is fat. It is Glucose is converted to fatty acid. Fatty acid is converted to fat called triglyceride. That is three molecules of fatty acid with one molecule of glycerol that is sent to the fat cell. In the fat cell, the fat is stored, but if the fat cell gets full, the glucose is then not converted into triglyceride or fat. The First, you can see the triglyceride level in the blood will go up. Then the glucose level will start going up. So in other words, you don't need an insulin resistance hypothesis to explain type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is strictly a lifestyle condition, a, a nutrient problem, not a hormonal disease. That is what I have discovered. What does it mean a lifestyle issue? We, what, the, what, what causes it then? That, and again, an excellent question. 100 years ago, well, the best example is the Native Americans. They were brought to the reservations in the year 1900. And they had a complete physical examination. And you know what the doctors found? These Native Americans did not have type 2 diabetes or cancer. So a researcher in Australia in 1980s sent 10 Australian Aborigines with type 2 diabetes on medications and asked them whether they can go back to the bush like their ancestors lived. They they Mm. did that within eight weeks. They they did not have to take any more diabetic medications. They lost weight. Their blood sugar came down. Why? In the wild, they moved from one food source to another. They ate meat, egg, fish, fruits, nuts, everything, except except they did not stay in one place to cultivate grains. They did not eat cultivated grains. That's the key. Okay. So 60 years ago, we had the agricultural revolution. Every government in the world subsidized grain farming. At that time, the percentage of food energy, daily food energy a person consumed from complex carbohydrate was less than 35%. Now, in developed countries, grain-based foods provide 50% of daily food energy intake And in developing countries, it is 70%. That is what is driving the obesity and type 2 diabetic epidemic. But what is it about the grains themselves that's doing it? Like biologically, biochemically, what do you think is going on and why? First of all, grains were never intended for humans. Otherwise, we would have had beaks to pick them up and the ability to digest the chaff. So it is not 
primarily a food for humans and you cannot chew it. Anyway, so this is what has happened to us because it is subsidized, it is cheaper than any other food available. And the, manuf- the food producing companies can manufacture it so that it can be very convenient in packaging and cheaper, that is the cheapest food available, most convenient food available. When is the last time you had a meal or a snack without a grain-based product? So that- Yeah, has, it's everywhere, right? Yeah, that is what is driving the diabetic epidemic. So if you cut down the quantity of energy, daily energy you take in from grains to one half of what you are doing now, why would you want to why would you need medications to control your blood sugar? If you don't put it in your mouth, it cannot be in your blood. But what is the mechanism by which grains cause people to have diabetes? Like, What do you the, think the real reason is? The real reason is the excess glucose that is absorbed into the blood has no place to be stored. In other words, you don't have a diabetic mm. gene. You Even if you have a family history, you did not inherit a diabetic gene. Otherwise, you should be diabetic from day one of your life. You have the same gene. What happens is what you inherit is the fat storage capacity. This is why a young woman with no family history of diabetes, no personal history of diabetes, at eight weeks of gestation can become gestationally diabetic because if she fills up her fat storage capacity, glucose will stay in the blood. And when she loses weight, the glucose can be stored outside the blood and her diabetes disappears. That happens after delivery. So, okay. So people that have too much grains and I guess sugar itself too, as well, I'm sure. No, um, there's just, no. The, the, no? that is a misnomer or misconception that okay. table sugar is responsible for blood sugar. No, that is uh, only the association is the word sugar. sugar. Blood sugar is glucose. Table sugar is sucrose. They're completely different molecules. And if you are a diabetic, if you remove table sugar from your diet, coffee or tea or cake, it's not going to make any dent in your diabetic condition. It is just a a confusing statement so that people can sell artificial sweeteners. It has no practical value. Yeah, but if you eat a lot of sugar, you don't think it's going to affect you negatively? It'll put sugar into, into your body, and then where does it get stored? But so why yeah, wouldn't sugar how, be a problem? How much sugar do you take in your coffee or tea or cake? Unless you drink a lot of soft drinks with a large amount of glucose, you cannot increase your diabetes, type 2 diabetes, by table sugar. No, there's no, I mean, no people, su- supposedly, though, from what I've seen, is the average person has uh, about 120 to 150 grams of sugar a day. So is that significant or not really? Well, Probably it pales in comparison to carbs, but still maybe significant. But, but, I don't know. If, if the, if, if, as long as you don't drink sugar-laced drinks, soft drinks, you're fine with an ordinary amount of sugar you put in coffee, tea, or a snack. That is not going to make a dent if you remove it, otherwise it will be so easy. Just stop eating those and your diabetes should get better. The maximum, the, the major source of glucose in your body are grains, nothing else. So you don't, you don't think that 100 
250. You know, I mean, a lot of people do drink sodas every day. A lot of people drink all kinds of sugars. So, I mean, is it significant just the, the amount of grain, sorry, the amount of grams of sugars that people take in? Is that significant or would it need to be much higher than that to really have an effect? Well, yes, that depends on how much other source of glucose you are consuming. If you cut down the grain-based products to one half of what you are doing and stop drinking uh, sugar-containing soft drinks, you are going to be fine. You won't need diabetic medications to control your blood sugar. I mean, so your premise was that if you cut your grains, let's say, in half or the total amount of stuff you eat, let's say, is only one-third grains versus one-half. How much are we talking about? Like the average person, how much, how many grams of grains, grains do they have in a day? Do they have, you know, four or 500 grams if they're really not eating well? And so in that case, perhaps another 100 grams of sugar would be very significant. You know, yes. if you want to get to half, maybe why not say the combination of the two? Because, you know, then I can still eat maybe a little bit more, you know, grains than I wanted to because I cut out all the sugar. So my, you know. Yeah, no, that would be fine. It is, as you mentioned, it is the total quantity that matters. That's why I said 35% of the daily energy intake should come from carbohydrates, whether it is complex carbohydrates from grains or soft drinks from sugar. That does not make any difference. It is the total that matters. Okay. So you are right in, in that way of thinking. So what are your thoughts on um, these diets where people will do keto or be like extremely low carb? And if you were to tell someone, like if someone said, look, Dr. John, I can't just cut out the sugar and I can't cut out the carbs too. It's too much for me. If you were to say to them, do, if you only to do one thing, my guess is say you'd, you'd reduce the grains more than the sugar, or does it not matter which one you reduce? Well, the grain is the one number one source of blood sugar. No, unless you drink a whole lot of soft drinks. So you should, if you're drinking soft drinks, you cut it down or eliminate it because you don't need it uh, to survive. And grains also, you can cut down to one half of what you are eating and your blood sugar will be, you can control that better rather than take insulin or medications because when you reduce your blood sugar level that way, the sugar goes out of the blood, but it does not go out of the body. So that is why you still have complications of type 2 diabetes in spite of keeping A1C below 7. So don't be fooled by the drug company's claim. We can keep your A1C below 7 with this medication. The question is, will that prevent you from having complications of type 2 diabetes? That is the question you need to ask. Right. Okay. So what protocol, I mean, are you still clinically treating patients and for yourself, did you, were you the first guinea pig? Did you start this on yourself and what did you notice or what do you notice with patients? Well, I'm retired. That is when I started uh, concentrating on writing these books. So no, I don't treat any patients. However, all I'm doing is talking to people like you who can spread the word, the awareness that each person has to take charge of his or her own health and ask questions. Most people are reluctant to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Simple question like, what happens to the sugar when I inject insulin, blood sugar goes away or goes down? Where did it go? 
simple question. And why, why am I still having complications of type 2 diabetes if I am controlling the blood sugar? Even, right. even a simple question. If you are resistant to an antibiotic, the doctor will not give you the same antibiotic. But here you are told you are type 2 diabetic mm. because you are insulin resistant. And what does the doctor give you? More insulin, yeah. How does that right. make sense? It doesn't. No, it doesn't make sense. Amongst the grains, are there particular ones that you find are more harmful than others? Are there certain right. grains that are not so bad? The amount of carbohydrate varies from different types of grains. The most common are wheat, corn, and rice. If you take 100 grams of these, almost 80 grams will be glucose or uh, complex carbohydrate. So they are the number one cause. Then the other grains will be, again, the proportional. You have to look at the proportion of complex carbohydrate to proteins and other things like Okay. So do you have a specific protocol that you develop for people or is it just have less grains? In summary, what have you found is most effective? The, the most effective is cutting back on the grains as much as possible, at least to one half of uh, what you are eating currently. And most people find that they can reduce or eliminate diabetic medications. Just imagine the cost of insulin. It has gone up so much. Many people don't. Type 1 diabetic children, they need insulin to survive. Yet, most of the insulin is used by type 2 diabetics who are supposedly resistant to insulin. If they can cut down the carb and reduce the use of insulin, that will help everybody, especially the children who need it to survive. So that is the key message. If we can ask the, the type 2 diabetic people to consider, they have to take charge of their diet, especially the consumption of complex carbohydrates from grains. Okay. Any other nuance or advice that you found that is helpful? Yes. What I would ask people to think about is we all enjoy eating. That's fine. But are you enjoying what you eat? Each bite of food you take, how much time do you take it to chew and enjoy it? How much do you concentrate? If you are watching a TV program, if you're watching a game, your brain cannot concentrate on two events at the same time. So eating becomes automatic. And you don't even know half the food is gone before you know, oh, I have eaten so much. Right. And by the time you look at it, you eat all the food because you paid for it. You don't want to waste any money. I've had that, that happen. Yeah. That should not be the criteria. Eating is one activity that you can enjoy multiple times a day. There is no other activity you can enjoy that many times a day. So enjoy it. That's your personal time. Concentrate on each bite of food and enjoy it. That way you can control your intake, have the enjoyment and prevent type 2 diabetes. Okay. That makes sense. Simple advice, but it, uh, it makes sense. Yes. The, you, all you have to do is look at any toddlers in your house or in your neighborhood. 
If you watch toddlers, you'll observe three things. One, they will not eat unless they are hungry. Adults, they <clears throat> eat every time somebody offers food or most people for any other reason. Second, the toddlers will pick and choose what they like at that time. Adults, we eat because the host made it or it is free or you paid for it. Third thing is when the toddlers are satisfied, they could care less how much is left on the plate. That's true. Yeah. For adults, once they serve on their plate, they feel bad wasting it. So they eat until the plate is empty or no more food available. So Mm. if we can change the way we approach food, the way we eat, how you eat matters more than what you eat. How you eat? You mean mindfully, slowly? Yes, mindfully. Shoveling stuff in your mouth. Eat primarily what you can chew. Don't drink, don't puree the food, don't blend the food. You have to chew so that the taste buds can detect and, and record the amount, monitor the amount going down. Okay, that makes sense. Very, very simple things, but uh, effective sounding too. Yes. Well, that's so, what right. I thought. That's why I put them in books. But the problem that I have, I'm running into is endocrinologists, NIH, CDC, they are reluctant to answer my questions regarding type 2 diabetes. Well, they're, they're information resistant. They have yes. a disease, you know. Yes. Exactly. Their, their nice cells word. won't, won't, won't take in the... In, yeah. Well, very good. Uh, Dr. John, what's the best way for people to learn what you have to say? Is I, I guess it would be going through your books. Is there a first one they should try? Or what? in what order should people look at your information? The first thing will be if they can go to my website, as you mentioned, drjohnonhealth.com. There's a lot of information, and most importantly, there are video animation videos, 10 to 12 minutes long, on weight gain, on type 2 diabetes, and on cancer. So they can look at it and then decide what, they, what interests them most, and they can order the books. It's, they are all available on Amazon. Dot, uh, on Amazon. So as I said, there are five books. The last one is The Information Chaos, because there is so much information coming because of social media. How can you know which is right, which is wrong, or which is somebody's trying to make money out of it? Yeah, that's true. Okay. So people can check out your books. And then uh, any anecdotes that you've had that are particularly interesting from people that have read the book and uh, you know gotten a lot out of it? Well, the most interesting part is not what people read out of it. My grandson was one day not eating well. So his mother asked, how come you are not eating? Then he said, oh, my grandfather told me if I don't enjoy it, I don't have to eat it. Okay. So, but as far as diabetic people are concerned, many of them have been able to reduce their diabetic medications. And some of them have even gotten off insulin completely by doing, by following the dietary advice I give them. Right. Okay. Well, that's excellent, Dr. John. Yeah. yeah you ask good questions, uh, questions that most people don't ask. No one answers, ask the why. Yeah. So I'm with you there. And it, it would be interesting I, to actually see what the real mechanisms are. Right. That is what we need to ask. If more people 
can start asking these questions, then the endocrinologists and the doctors will be forced to answer them. Now they get away without answering because nobody is answering. We are all reluctant to question our doctors because they feel the doctors may feel offended and you need them for other matters as well. But we need to find a way to politely ask the doctor that I just need to understand what happens to my sugar. I need to understand why are only these three types of cells out of 200 decide to resist insulin. Imagine you have a 200 unit apartment complex. Three occupants of three units suddenly decide they are not going to respond to the UPS driver from tomorrow without any coordination. Is that possible? That's true. Yeah. So to me, it makes the concept of insulin resistance makes no sense and it has never been validated. So we have to ask these endocrinologists and doctors, why are you doing this? Tell us, please. That is the question I would like to have answered. I've been trying to get an answer for that for 20 years. And the best way they do, what they do is just ignore the question. If more people can start asking the question, then they cannot ignore it. True. Okay. I don't, well, any, I don't sell any medications or supplements or anything on my website. Only I have is information. And I don't like put on any commercials there either. I'm using my own funds to spread the word. And I thank you, thank people like you for listening and promoting the idea. That's all I want. I appreciate it, Dr. John. Thank you as well for coming on the podcast and talking about all this. I'm glad we spoke. Thank you. I thank you for having me. Are nanobubbles the secret to optimal health, wellness, and mental performance? Over a thousand scientific studies say yes. Molecular hydrogen, or nanobubbles, produce the number one cause of cognitive decline, premature aging, and tired-looking skin by destroying the most damaging free radicals. Vital Reaction hydrogen tablets transform ordinary water, or any non-carbonated drink, into cell-optimizing hydrogen water. If you'd like to try hydrogen for the next 30 days risk-free, go to tryvitalreaction.com. Use the discount code GENIUS to save 20% on your first order. Note all orders are protected with a one-year money-back guarantee and include free shipping. So use the code GENIUS to save 20% on your first purchase at TryVitalReaction.com. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.